Open your Bibles or open up your phones and scroll to Jonah chapter 2. We're actually doing something a bit different today in the book of Jonah. So this is something that you'll begin to see from time to time as we go through books of the Bible, is we will pause and camp out on one verse or one idea because we think it's just that important. And so we talked about this verse last week, but we're going to zoom in on it today because its implications are significant and profound. Uh, and, and we find it's really important, even in the midst of the way our culture seems to view the Bible and view doctrine and view God, that we'd slow down and just camp in on moments that really speak to God's character, really speak to the work he's doing and what that means for us. And so um, the central theme really to scripture, many would argue, is the verse that we'll talk about today. And it comes in Jonah chapter 2, verse 9. And it says this, it says, But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. And then this is the part, this is the part we're going to focus on. Salvation belongs to the Lord, okay? Who does salvation belong to? The Lord, right? Who does it not belong to? Anyone else, right? Like, it, it's his, right? And we're going we're gonna to delve into this line of, uh, by, uh, by Christopher Wright, who's an uh, author, theologian that we really enjoy and love and have learned a lot from. He says, salvation is God's property, Okay? Like God, God owns this, and we'll talk about how he kind of came about owning it as well in just a little bit. But this idea, salvation belongs to our God. Now, if you don't know where we're at in the book of Jonah, let me just give you the quickest of recaps. Jonah was a prophet sent by God, go preach the gospel, or go call to repentance the city of Nineveh, capital of Assyria, a terrible place, a place where atrocities were happening to their own people and surely to their enemies. Yet God raises up Jonah the prophet, says, hey, I want you to go, I want you to call these people to repentance. Jonah says no. Why? We'll find out in chapter 4 officially when Anthony preaches it, but the idea is simple. Jonah knew God would save them, and so he didn't want that because he didn't like who they were. He didn't love his enemy, and so he went west when he was supposed to go east to Assyria. He flees from God. He gets on a boat to Tarshish, which is in Spain, and en route, God hurls a tempest. The seas go crazy. He gets thrown into the sea, and then he prays this prayer in chapter 2, which we only find, about, find out about because he is saved by God by being swallowed by a fish, okay? Now, it's a crazy series of events, but this story we do believe is true. It's trying to speak to the reality of how God works, uh, what God does in the midst of life, even when life gets difficult, that God is present in the midst of the sinking, in the midst of the feeling of death. And so as the more Jonah descended, God came in and delivered him from that. Salvation belongs to the Lord was the ending of his prayer, exclaiming after salvation, God, you've saved me. Life didn't really get that much better in the moment of the prayer because Jonah prays this in the midst of being tightly bound in the belly of a fish. But he recognizes this true reality that salvation belongs to the Lord. And so we want to camp in on that as well, regardless and wherever you land on and wherever you show up to, whatever's going on in your life, that salvation belongs to God. Now, when we talk salvation... It's important to understand that this is far more broad than we often understand it here in the English language. We think salvation means I was going to die, but then I was saved, which that certainly counts. But the salvation of the scriptures is, is far more comprehensive. 
It's a salvation that is, that is caring for you now. It cared for you in your past. It cares for you in your present. And it will care for you in your future. That at every level, God is doing the work of salvation in you and through you. God saves. Salvation belongs to the Lord. He's a helper, a healer, savior, restorer, redeemer, deliverer. He saves on all fronts, physical, emotional, spiritual. Every part of life, God is always in the activity of saving his creation. Salvation belongs to the Lord. So here's how we're going to talk about this reality today. Now, uh, there's different acronyms that get thrown out about salvation. Some are more helpful than others. I love alliteration, right? Anthony always makes fun of me how much I love alliteration, but I just do. I think it's fun, and I try it really hard. This week, literally, I was searching for my last letter that I had to get for this alliteration, and Anthony made fun of me. It was brilliant. But here's what we're doing today. It's the five O's of salvation belongs to your Lord, or the ooh of salvation belongs to our God. So um, when you go out from here, you can now explain this to people by saying, oh, do you not know about the ooh? (laughs) Yeah, okay. So five O's, and we'll break this reality down. The first one, let's get started. Salvation belongs to our God because salvation is originated by God's grace, okay? It's originated by God's grace. Its origin, its genesis, its beginning is God's grace. A.W. Tozer on grace said this, that it is the good pleasure of God that inclines him to bestow benefits on the undeserving. The good pleasure of God to bestow benefits upon the undeserving. Deserving. So in other words, like we, we did not conjure up this reality. No, no, no. God, in his good pleasure, in his delight, because he looked upon creation and his heart leapt. Because I love you. Because I love you. Because I love this. God, in his good pleasure, decided even though we're undeserving, God still would come with benefit and glory and gift. Okay. Now this, many of us parents, it's Mother's Day, right? You, you understand this most of the time for your children, right? Like, like a lot of time, like, no, you're getting what you deserve right now, right? But, but a lot of time, it's like, no, no, I see my kids, and it's like, yeah, man, you deserve something. I'm not going to do that. It's a bit of mercy in there mixed in. But then I will go above and beyond that and give you things you don't deserve. Why? Because I love you. Salvation is originated by God's Grace. It doesn't start with us. We don't conjure this reality up at all. Now, there's a, um, a movie called Braveheart. Anyone seen that one? There's this great line where William Wallace walks into the tent and speaks to the French princess. And she, he walks in and, he, and she says to him, she says, uh, I hear that you've recently been given the title of knight. And then he responds, and just by a show of hands, should I go Scottish accent, yes or no? No? Should we do it? You're saying no, I'm going to no. Yes, from Tiffin. Uh, so he responds, says, <laughs> says, I've been given nothing. God makes men what they are. Right? That's pretty good though, right? Thank you. Um, yeah, that's why we're here, just for that. No, I've been given nothing. God makes men what they are. And listen, this is a very true statement, that we did not figure this thing out. God, in his great love and pleasure, so saw fit 
to give benefit to the undeserving. That, that, that is a hallelujah and amen moment for the church. Because we're, we're lost without that reality. We're, we're absolutely, we're, we're grasping at straws. We are Jonah sinking in the ocean, trying to grab on to something to pull our way back up. But instead, God saves. Out of his pleasure, he comes in and saves Jonah. Had Jonah done anything up to that moment to deserve salvation? No. At every level, Jonah had run from God, disobeyed God, sought to do the opposite of what God wanted him to do. But God, to the greatest words in all of Scripture, as you begin to read through, you'll often read these profound texts where you go through and you'll start reading, and it says, all of the stuff that we've done in disobedience. And then on the next line, it's, but God intervened, but God saved, but God redeemed, but God did not punish because of his good pleasure. The first O, salvation belongs to our God, means that salvation originated by God's grace. The second one, salvation belongs to our God because salvation is orchestrated by God's power. God sets the scene. God sets the environment. God sets the context. If you look back at the Jonah story, we already kind of said this, right? But Jonah, in his departure from God, who is the one that throws the seas into a mess? It didn't just randomly happen. It says, God hurled a tempest upon the seas, causing the boat to go crazy. It says, who is the one that hurled Jonah into the sea? It says, Jonah proclaims, God, you hurled me into the ocean, God sets the parameters, the environment, the context for our salvation. It's orchestrated by him, like a maestro. I think this is something they do, right? So they're organized, they're orchestrating the orchestra. This piece, then this piece, then this piece, then this piece. Why? Because that person can stand back and they see a larger picture while each person is playing their individual instrument. I'm assuming, again, I've never done any of that, but I think that's emotion, right? So all of these people doing their little pieces, one person steps back and says, I see the whole. And so you, 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 and then it comes together in a beautiful sound. God orchestrates by his power the context, and the place, space, and realities for our salvation. Acts 17, 26, and 27 say this, He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place. I know where you'll live, and I know when you'll live there, that they should seek God. And perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he's actually not far from each one of us. God is sovereign. Now we get that word thrown around a ton. God is sovereign. It just means he is all powerful. He's the king. He's the ruler. He's on top. He makes the decisions. He is sovereign over our salvation. He is sovereign over the context of our Salvation. Now hear me, if we then apply that reality to what's going on in the story and to our lives, this means that God is sovereign over every aspect of life, good and bad, that he oversees it. Now you get into the debate here, at what level is God just allowing the sin of this world to 
come in, and yet his common grace is, is holding that back. Listen, that's for another sermon. That's going to take a while. If you have questions about that, sit down and talk to us. That is a deep issue worth talking about. But God is sovereign over all of life and uses every aspect of it that he might create good and save some. The last one, okay, or sorry, the third one. Salvation belongs to our God because salvation is offered on God's terms. Now, if God is all-powerful, all-sovereign, and in his good pleasure he seeks to give grace, he's now decided, there is a way I'm going to dispense that to people. And it's on God's terms, not on our terms, and we don't love that. So even Jonah was, okay, Lord, I want this. I long for this, which is salvation coming. But God had said, no, there's a way that this looks to be my people. And, And it's not running from me. It's running towards me. It's not departing from the presence of God as we learn in chapter one. It's encountering the presence of God and being humbled in worship and celebrating in faith the work that God has done. There's a transition moment coming for all of us that live 2,000 years post-Jesus that's really beautiful. But for Jonah, God's like, listen, dude, just follow what I'm telling you to do. By faith, trust that I am the sovereign Lord. Sovereign God of the world, that my grace is for you and that I'm all-powerful. And so he offers these terms. Now, our world does the same thing. Hear me. The world offers you and I salvation on their terms. And their terms often look like buy this product or take this medication. Now, let me be very clear here. Sometimes you should take medication. That's not meant to be, if you take medication, that's a bad thing inherently, but we overprescribe, right? I, I think there's a reality to, we just look at the world and say, okay, well, this is a quick fix. Let's just do this thing. Let's buy this product. Let's get this diet pill. Let's find this woman. Let's find this man. It's this simple, diluted reality that the terms that the world offers to you and I, they promise salvation, they promise deliverance, they promise happiness and redemption, and they always fall short. But they're going to keep promising because we keep buying. They're going to keep putting stuff on display because we keep grabbing out for it and say, yeah, no, no, that'll do it. Forget the fact, God, I don't want your terms. Your terms require uh, like sacrifice and a giving over of control. I'd like to keep my control, but let's be honest. What, what the world often does is that what they do is they say, they present you, and you see you, and it comes across as autonomy, but it's really slavery. Like, it comes across as like, hey, like, look at what you could be, but with our stuff. God's like, no, no, no. Like, it is my grace and my good pleasure to bless you and to save you and to set up the ter- like set up the or- and orchestrate the realities and the environment of said salvation. And here are my terms, and my terms are me. Nothing more. Me. I am your king. I am control. I am God. And if he's really all that, if the first two things are true, then we can be assured of the third being worthy of following. 
But if we struggle with the third, I guarantee us, if you struggle with the terms of what God presents is salvation for you, if you struggle with that, believe me, you struggle with the other ones first. You struggle with a God that is all-powerful that can tell you what to do. And you struggle that he could be loving enough more than you could ever imagine. But if he's both of those things, then regard, like, give me whatever terms you want if you are an all-powerful, all-loving, gracious God that comes even though I'm undeserving. Give me whatever terms you got. Now, these last two. We have to understand the prophet Jonah, even as he was exclaiming in the belly of the fish, salvation belongs to the Lord, he would have longed to know the depths of what that means for us today. Like literally, let's read some scriptures, okay? So first one, um, 1 Peter 1, 10 through 12, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. Inquiring what person or time, the Spirit of Christ, Christ meaning Messiah or Savior, the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. In the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. And then Matthew 13 tells us that the prophets longed to see what you and I see, but did not see it. That they longed to hear what you and I hear, but did not hear it. That the prophets, so Jonah and the rest of the prophets, even as they exclaim this, would so long to be on this side of Jesus, on this side of the Messiah. And so for us, there comes another couple O's in this that are beautiful. And so here's the next one, the fourth O. So we're into ooh right there, okay? Salvation belongs to our God because salvation is owned by God's Son. Owned by God's Son. 1 Corinthians 6.20. Don't you know you are not your own? You were bought with a price. Romans 3 tells us that the wages of sin was what? Death. Who paid that price? Jesus. Jesus. So listen, the wages of sin... Death, okay? One's, uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 20, don't you know you're not your own, you were bought with a price. The price was paid at the cross by Jesus. So in other words, Jesus owns your salvation. He is the property owner of salvation. He bought it with his life. He owns it now and can do with it that which he desires. Done through Jesus, 1 Peter 1, 18 through 19 knowing that you were ransomed, purchased, bought, redeemed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. There was a bounty on our heads, and Jesus paid the price with his own life. He stepped in, paid the debt, so that salvation owned by him would be able to be dispensed upon his terms. We, not, again, not our terms because we don't own it. We didn't do it. We didn't achieve it. We didn't buy it. We had an advocate come in. We had a benefactor come in. 
and purchased on our behalf. Last verse, Colossians 1, 19 through 22. For in him all the fullness of God, this is Jesus, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order, hear me, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, the salvation purchased and known by him so that the people of God would be presented in perfect splendor. Salvation belongs to him because he bought it, because it's owned by God's son. This line, salvation is God's property, just continues to ring, and I hope it will for you. Because, listen, this, this is an encouraging thing, because it's, if there is this, right, like someone that you just know is just so caring and loving, right, and seeks to care and bless those around them, even the undeserving, then that's the person you want to own stuff. I was taking Finley to school the other day, and all the kids had their names written on their lunchboxes and stuff like that, right? And that makes sense. You don't want the kids to jack your food, okay? So fin- uh, I said to Finley, hey, man, do you want to write your name on your lunchbox? And he said, why? I said, well, this way, like, you'll eat your food and, and no one will take your food. And he responds with, it's okay if they take my food. It's God's food. And I was like, okay, it's not the way the world works, Finley. Uh, no. No, he said it's God's so we were really pressing into this. God is the owner. We are the steward, right? God is, God is the owner of these things. And so I said, all right, man, leave, leave your name off then. And so he goes in, and he's just like sharing stuff. Listen, here, here, in the midst of this reality of sometimes like, man, what, where is the salvation? When is it coming? Why hasn't it come yet? Why hasn't it come for me? And why hasn't it come for my friend? Why hasn't it come for, and, and right, we all have the situations that are happening in life around the world, locally, globally, etc. We're like, where is it? And, and, and then we, we do, we battle the question of like, well, where is that salvation for the, my relative that doesn't know and love Jesus, that hasn't come to him on his terms? And so many of those questions, hear me, I cannot answer. And let's be honest, you can't either. And we have to be okay with that. But there can be peace because salvation belongs to our God. Because if it was me owning it, believe me, I would destroy this world if it was impetuous and petulant and filled with malice and frustration and anger that are on the whims of a moving culture and a moving reality of my life. But a God who's consistently loving, consistently truthful, consistently faithful, etc., 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 that cares for the undeserving, it's really good news that he's the owner. Amen? The last O. God, salvation belongs to him because salvation is obtained through God-given faith. Ephesians 2, 4 through 9, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, 
Even when we are dead and our trespasses made us alive together with Christ, by grace you've been saved. Raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. We are saved by faith alone in Christ alone. Because of what Jesus has done, hear me, faith was always the thing saving. When you even go back to Old Testament, that's again, it's probably more conversation, more dialogue in that. But the new covenant comes with new terms. And that terminology is very simple for us now. Salvation comes through Jesus. It comes through Jesus for eternity, and it comes through Jesus for the present. Follow him. Repent and believe. Confess before him and follow. Take up your cross and follow him. Count the cost and become his disciple. Like It's all centered around him. Now, the entry point, faith alone. Where does this faith come from? Hebrews 12, 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Just a nugget, just the idea, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. What is he talking about? He's talking about this. He's talking about his kingdom and his people there within. The joy of knowing you and loving a kingdom and serving a world through that kingdom was a joy that willingly sent him to the cross for us. Where does the faith come from? God. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. He started your faith. He began your faith. He planted your faith. When you, when you think through founder, like when, when you, he, you found a company, we founded this church, we, right? You started, began, whatever language, Jesus came in and started your faith. This was not you stepping back, gritting your teeth, and eventually you got there. This was not, well, I learned enough things, and so finally I got there. It was Jesus founded it. He put it in you. A great example, Matthew 16, 13 through 17. Now when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Me? Like, who does he say that I am? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah, one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? You want to follow me? Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Peter, you didn't hear that question and then run through just the laundry list of Old Testament scripture that approved of me as the Messiah. 
Peter, you did not answer that question because you heard it from someone else. You didn't answer that question rightly because you, in your brain capacity, figured it out. You answered the question rightly. How? Because the Father told you the answer. Salvation is obtained through God-given faith. And again, Yes and amen, because if it was up to me to figure out God, I would not do it. We've arrived at this place in humanity, and I listen, I think human beings are gifted and talented. This isn't a hate the human race thing, but the reality of this humanistic approach to life that thinks we're all powerful and we can figure anything out, it's just foolish. It hasn't worked, and it's clear. To, I'll just say it's clear to me. If I had to figure this all out and understand God, I would not be here. Praise Him. Now, I know you're all thinking, man, that was really good. Ooh. I got another one. Okay. I got a, I got a bonus O. So then it becomes, ooh. That joke has run its course. I get it. Okay. Last O, and this one gets added because it's not technically salvation belongs to our God, but it's attached to it. It's a bonus O. Since salvation belongs to our God and everything we've said, since it belongs to him, he can so give it and grant it to be stewarded by a people. The last O, salvation belongs to our God and is now given to us to be operated by God's people to be worked out amongst God's people, to be dispensed amongst God's people, to be operated by God's people. Philippians 2, 12, 2, 12 through 18. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so in the day of Christ may be proud and not run in vain or labor in vain. God grants now this salvation to be operated by the church operated by his people, dispensed, and it happens in two ways. One, work this thing out, and one way is Hold fast to the word of God. Obey the word of God. Pursue holiness. Abstain from sin. Chase Jesus, etc., etc., etc. God cares about this. And on the other end, be a light. Be a people that, is, that are a light to the world. That salvation belongs to God. Even as Jonah exclaims it in the belly of the fish, he is exclaiming this beautiful idea and even calling himself out. Salvation belongs to you, Lord, but you called me to bring it to Assyria. And now he has raised up his church, given us this gift to be operated by the church, to bring salvation to the world through Jesus, through faith, by his power, orchestrated by him, the church lives this out to be a light to the world. And if we fail that, there's something wrong with what we believe with the first five. Because, because if these things are true, there's no other option, church, than for us to pursue the word of God, obey the word of God, and be a light to the world that God has come to redeem. 
all leading us to this beautiful end. In Revelation chapter 7, 9 and 10, the second moment where we see this beautiful line exclaimed out. It says this, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes, peoples, and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, say, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. What we see in this prophetic word from John in the book of Revelation about the end of times is somewhere in the midst of this, in the midst of all the flaw of the church, we must have done something right. But not because of us, but because of him. That somewhere in the midst of all this craziness and this desire for us to be a faithful presence in our city, in our communities, and in our worlds, that Jesus in his grace, an undeserving church, could still fulfill, the, fulfill their mission. That at the end of time, all tribes, all peoples, all nations, all languages would exclaim what Jonah exclaimed from the belly. This time, not under pressure, but in hands raised in celebration, salvation belongs to God. Praise him forever. Amen? Let's pray. God, we could talk about this all day. Although we want to sing now, and we want to respond. We want to give you glory. We want to celebrate you because salvation is yours, and somehow, God, we've come to see it. We've come to take part in it. Lord, I pray for, for those who, who are here today that most, if not all of this, just sounded foreign, faint, confusing. Lord, and again, salvation doesn't belong to us. It belongs to you, Lord. And so we pray that you would save, that you would reveal, redeem. God, not just for eternity, but even now where there is pain, there is brokenness, there is hurt, there is trial. God, that you would be and bring deliverance. God, we humbly submit, God, to your beauty and your love your perfection. So Lord, come amongst us and do greater things than we could ever even fathom. Jesus, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.